listening to Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Some of you may be thinking, if you're parents, you may think, this is the day. Man, give, give me something. Give me something. I need some ABCs and one, two, threes of parenting. I need it. I need it. So give me something today. I'm ready to write today. If you could give me the secret to teaching my kids to obey, I'm going to write it down and I'm going after it. But let me encourage you to put your pens down because what we're going to do today, I hope, is not give you the one, twos, and threes or the A, Bs, and Cs of parenting, but just see how parenting and see how as children, it all comes from the gospel. It all comes from the cross. So, you know, maybe there's some notes to take, but you don't walk away here today with answers on practical application necessarily that gets applied today. And then finally... Before we read this text, um, I know, and Brad's mentioned this over the last couple of weeks when we were talking about wives and husbands that, um, and as he addressed the, the single people in the congregation, some of you are not parents, and you're married, and you, you deeply desire to be parents, and some of you may not be married, and you don't have children, and you deeply desire to be married, and you deeply desire to be children. Let me, let me tell, let me address, address y'all. Don't check out today because in, in our church, within Crosspoint, we need the, the community of believers. I need, the, I need Kwame and I need Dean and I need the Garcias and I need, I need Paul and Becca. I need them to come and speak truth into my children because there are times, and we mention this when we do ba- baby dedications, when my boys, believe it or not, tune me out and they will tune me out. And so I need everyone, the body to speak and model truth, the truth of the gospel, into my boys, and you need it into your children. So don't tune out. Don't check out. So with that being said, let's open up to Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to read the first four verses. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. God, would you help us this morning just to unpack these commands in Scripture? And would you help us, Lord, to direct them to the cross and direct them to the gospel, Lord. And would you help us to be open to receive your word with gladness, with joy, Lord, so that we can make much of you, much of the name of Jesus. And would you help me, Lord? Would you help, would you help things fall to the ground that do not need to be said? Would you, would you help me not get jumbled up in my words so that Things would be confused, confusing, Lord, but would you give me clarity so that I could point these words to you and do it as only you can do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when we look at this text, my opinion, like the previous couple of chapters we've been looking at in Ephesians, is there should be a big there should be a big caution sign in front of this text. There should be some warning, like some flashers. Like there's, there's a curvy road ahead, or there's a, 
there's a, there's a cliff ahead that you're about to fall off. Watch out, watch out, watch out. And, and there really should have been over the last couple of weeks and the last couple of chapters. Because if we get these, if we get these verses that we're going to talk about today, if they get detached from the gospel, it can turn into a performance-driven mess. Brad went into great detail last week talking about how everything in our life, from marriage to finances to work to parenting, should be tethered to the gospel. And without being tethered, if a ship or a boat comes untethered from the dock, it's without someone guiding it, it is, it is floating at sea and it is lost. But all of these things, including these verses to children and to fathers and parents, must be attached to the gospel. And what will happen is that God will quickly, if we don't, if we don't attach him to the gospel, then God will quickly turn into a moral deist. Meaning, meaning if I perform, then God accepts me. If I don't perform, then God doesn't accept me. You know what that is? That's religion. Religion is, if I do right, then God's pleased with me. If I don't do right, then God's not pleased with me. Instead of, I cannot perform, Jesus did perform... God takes my failure. God takes my sin. He lays it on Jesus, who takes it on the cross, and then he credits me Jesus' righteousness. That's the gospel. I can't do it. Jesus did it. God gives it to me by faith and repentance in Christ. That's the gospel. Again, religion is I try to perform to make God pleased with me. And so if we disconnect chapters 4, 5, and 6 with chapters 1, 2, and 3. So if we just parachute into chapters 4, 5, and 6, in particular chapter 6 today, without attaching them to chapters 1, 2, and 3, then it un unintentionally becomes a white-knuckled white -knuckled effort to please God. And that becomes exhausting, and it's really impossible to do. And even if you somewhat do it successfully, then it produces self-righteousness, and that's perhaps even a bigger sin. And so you cannot... Detach these two. You cannot take chapters 1, 2, and 3 and detach them from chapters 4, 5, and 6. We have to understand who we are in Christ before we can attempt to be who God calls us to be in Christ. That's why at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul said, I urge you, in light of what happened in chapters 1, 2, and 3, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's how he starts out chapter 4. He starts out chapter 5. In light of chapters 1, 2, and 3, who you are in Christ, I encourage you to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You can't detach the two. Let me show you, let me give you an example of how this goes wrong. All the time, unintentionally. You want to be your loving parent to your children. You want to be a biblical parent to your children. You want to raise biblical children. Right? And so what you do is you take a verse like Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And what you do is you scribble it on one of those big note cards and you plaster it to the mirror, right, where they're brushing their teeth. And they say, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey, you know, every morning. And then you put a little note right by the breakfast table right there. You have it maybe leaning up against a salt and pepper shaker. Ephesians 6.1, verse of the week. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And so you put it in their lunchbox so they get to school. Ah, look at that, Ephesians 6.1, nice. And so we do it over and over, all with good intentions, all with wanting to be a biblical parent, all with wanting to raise 
biblical children. And so then they come to Sunday school, and the, and the Sunday school teacher says, okay, boys and girls, our lesson for today is about how God wants us to obey our parents. This is a good one because it's talking to you children, so let's talk about it today. As a matter of fact, why don't we get in a circle? And why don't we sing a song about it? Hey, little Johnny, will you play the wooden block? And Susie, will you play the triangle? Obey your children's parents and the Lord for this is right. Everybody say, obey your parents. I'm not talking to you. I'm, talking to, I'm, the pa- I'm the teacher. Obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. That is so good, children. Do you see how God's word wants us to obey our children and the Lord for this is right? Okay, boys and girls, y'all come on over because we're going to do some coloring. And they have a nice color sheet. And the kids on the picture on the color sheet is making up their bed, and mom and dad are over there. They're so proud. They're like Ward and June Cleaver. Most of you don't, many of you don't know who they are. And at the bottom, it, at the bottom, it says Ephesians 6 1, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, children. I'll tell you what, let's do, boys and girls. Good coloring, Johnny. Good coloring, Susie. You're a musician and an artist. You're great, Johnny. You're great, Susie. Let's do a craft. Everyone get some macaroni and we'll glue it to the page. And we'll draw a happy picture of mom and dad and children's over there, and you don't know who's who, but, but they label them, and the teacher labels There's mom and dad, and there's little Johnny, and everybody's happy. Well, let's write Ephesians 6.1, because children should obey the parents in the Lord, for this is, this is right. All right, boys and girls, let's have our lesson. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is good. Good job. Okay, class is over. Let's line up. Everybody get your color picture and get your macaroni art and let's line up. Remember, what should we do? Obey our parents. Say it one more time. Obey our parents. Good job, kids. I am so proud of you and God loves you. We'll see you next week. Jesus loves you. Teacher, over. Did my part. Got my hour done with. Glad we're on a six-week rotation. And so the kids, mom and dad pick them up and they get in the car. Before they've got out of the parking lot, the macaroni has fallen off the page and the crayon pictures at the floorboard. And you get to the restaurant and, and the kids are throwing food everywhere and they're spitting and they're causing havoc with one another. And you're squeezing them on the back of the arm because you can't spank them in the restaurant. But you're give them, you give them a mean word, right? You give them the stink eye and you know when you get home. But by the time you get home, you're tired and exhausted because the preacher's preached so long. And let's just get home and... Maybe there's a game on, Final Four, whatever. And you go into your, your kid's room and you look and it's a disaster. I told those kids this morning to clean their room. Come here, Johnny. You come in here. I told you to, I told you to clean your room this morning. You didn't obey me. You get out a piece of paper and a pen. Let me find, because I'm a biblical parent. <laughs> Ephesians 6.1. You write that 50 times. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And they write it, and they're on number two. And here's what little Johnny's thinking. Little Johnny, he's thinking, I'm supposed to obey my parents so God will like me. Well, I'm not very good at obeying my parents, so God must not like me. You see what happens when you detach Chapters 4, 5, and 6 from chapters 1, 2, and 3. See, we do, it the same, we do the same thing as adults. I'm not performing very well right now, so surely God can't be pleased with me. We do it all the time. When I do good or I have high moral standards, God approves of me. When I don't do good, He disapproves. Let me tell you something, folks. 
if you're just kind of wandering in here, if you have a right standing, if you have a right standing before God, it's because of Jesus and His work on the cross and your trust in Him and in Him alone. You can't detach these things. And when we look at the instructions of Scripture, it's easy to parachute down into these things. And then it becomes a performance-driven, white-knuckled effort to please God. We can't do that. You can't do it. They have to say tethered to the gospel. So, that's why we need to be reminded of chapter 1. In chapter 1, don't turn there. I'm just going to give you a couple of snippets, and then we're diving into the first verse there. It says, chapter 1 said, God the Father has blessed us in Christ. You believer, he's talking to Christians. If you are a Christian, if you have put your faith and trust and hope in Jesus for your right standing before God, God the Father has blessed us in Christ. He chose us in Christ. He adopted us through Christ. In Christ we have redemption. He's made known to us the mystery of this, which he set forth in Christ. His goal was to unite all things in Christ. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance. In Christ you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so Paul just hammers that, hammers that, hammers that, hammers that over and over and so we can't detach what we've talked about, and you've heard it here over the last several, well, for a long time now. Those are indicatives. Those are truths of Christian, who you are in Christ. God has done the work. And you can't detach those from the imperatives of what God has called us to be as a result of who we are. He's called us to be righteous children and fathers and parents because He's made us righteous. So He's telling go after what you already are. And that's the life of sanctification. That's the life of becoming more and more and more like Christ. So, back to the text. The instructions to the children say, and if you write in your Bible, I would prefer that Paul had reminded me over and over every time I plop in here. But he reminded me in chapters 1, 2, and 3. I would have preferred, so I can write in my Bible, it says, in light of the gospel... Before we start in verse 1, in light of the gospel, in light of who I am in Christ, obey your parents. In light of who you are, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, who is he talking to here? Who are the children? Understanding this is a, the church at Ephesus that Paul is talking to, that he's writing this letter to. And so the children, are we all children? Yes, we're all children. We all have parents. We just didn't get here. And so we are in effect, all children, but in this case, Paul is probably thinking as he's writing, who all is going to be in the room? So they didn't have kids' church. They didn't have big buildings that they could separate it. They were just all in the room. Okay, kids were squirming. Kids were doing what kids do. But so he's thinking about, see, last two weeks he's talked about, well, the, the wives, you'll be in the room. They'll, they'll be in there. Um, husbands, husbands will be in the room. There'll, there'll be children in the room. So he's addressing the children that were in the room. And he's probably, this text is probably specifically talking to them because just after that, he's going to talk to these children's fathers. And so this is specifically to those children. But, but we can take it to ourselves as well. We can apply this today as children because he's going to reference the, one of the Ten Commandments in just a second. Let me ask you this question. Do children have the natural inclination or tendency to obey or disobey? I know there's an exception in the room, but who of you, if you have children, 
when they started toddling around, Ruth Ann's a little bit young. Yeah, Who of you had to take your child, pull them aside, and say, little Johnny, here's the strategy. It works. When mom say this, you say no. You didn't, you didn't teach your children that, right? You didn't teach them. You didn't teach your child to say, listen, when mom calls you to come to her, you run the other way. There was never, I don't think there was ever a strategy session that you had as a parent that that was your strategy. And there was a never, a, a doubt, there was never a strategy session or a modeling in your house where, listen, if there's another kid in the room, he's got the toy you want, snatch it. <laughs> or he didn't see that model from you probably, your wife didn't have the remote control, and you went over there and snatched that thing, hit it on the head, and then came back over. It might have happened, but I doubt it happened. And so you didn't have to teach your children to disobey. They come with that. That's part of the package. <laughs> it's part of the deal. Genesis 3. Listen to this. Psalm 51, verse 5. It says, Behold, this is David talking, King David. I was brought forth in iniquity. I was brought forth in sin. In sin did my mother conceive me. He's not talking about the relationship of his mother. He's just talking about, I was sin when I, when I was conceived. I mean, it's just sin. And we are sinners by nature, by the nature that we get from Adam and Eve. It's in us. We can't separate ourselves from it. Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, talking about the heart, he says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. They defile the person. And you may look at that list and go, well, that's not me. Maybe one of those, or one and a half. But even the one and a half, you didn't have to get taught that, okay? Coveting? Who taught you that? You're born with that. You're born to want what other people have, have. You're born to look at the grass on the other side and think it's greener. You're born like that. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Genesis 6, 5. This is God looking on his creation. He said, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, you might think, well, that's not me. I don't think like that all the time. But his point is that he's looking at the, the creation that he's made, and he's looking at the sin of mankind, and he's realizing that the intention of the heart is ma of man has become themselves. They've made themselves into be God. So the Bible is clear that the heart is prone or inc inclined to rebel against authority. I don't think there's many people who would argue with that. But Paul says, see what he tells the children? Paul says that in the Lord, he's telling the children now, he doesn't spend a lot of time, I don't think, I think he talks to the children because they're in the room. We're going to hammer the fathers and the parents here in just a second. So if you didn't get enough last week, buckle up, we're going back to you. But Paul says that children, obey your parents. How? In the Lord. Because, remember chapter 1, I just read them all. Because in Christ you are who you are. And so in the Lord, you can't do it in and of yourself, but in the Lord, obey your parents. 
You can take God's side children against our tendency or your tendency to sin versus taking sin side against a holy God. We quote that a lot. William Arnott, the, the Scottish preacher in 1800, says that. And so that's what Paul is saying, that in the Lord you can fight this urge to disobey your parents. You can fight it in Christ alone. But if you do it on your own accord, and even if you have a good day, then you become self-righteous if you're doing it in and of yourself. And that's a problem. And so then Paul goes on to say to the children, he says, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He says, Honor your father and your mother. And in parentheses, he's saying that this is the first commandment. Of the commandments, we get to number five there. This is the first commandment with a promise. And here's the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Quoting Exodus 20, verse 12 there. And again, he's talking to the Israelites. Moses, as he brings down the Ten Commandments, is talking to the Israelites and he's talking about the fact that, yes, it will go well for you. In fact, on this earth, in the land that I've promised you, it will go well for you, Israelites, if you honor your father and mother. And so that's why he says there's a promise that goes with this one, that if you do this, children, if you do this, Israelites, things will actually go better for you. In other words, there's a way in which God created us to be. There's a, there's a rhythm of life. There's a rhythm of life in Christ that ultimately leads to greater joy. And Paul is saying here to the children, and Paul would say here to us, there is a rhythm of life by following, by following the authority that God has put in our lives. Children, now we can look at ourselves as children. It will go better for you. Now I know all of you are already thinking of an exception. You don't know my parents. You don't know my situation. Yeah, if, you're, if your parents are leading you somewhere that is outside of this, God would not instruct you to obey that. Necessarily. Okay, and that takes us down a whole other rabbit trail that we're not going to go on today. But Paul is just trying to set this rhythm. It said, it's right and it'll go well for you if you follow this rhythm. It's better for your soul to live according to the instructions of God. What is promised is not so much a guaranteed long life for every child. That's not what he's telling the children. He's not saying, if you do this, you're going to live a long time. He's just saying, it's going to go better for you, but there's a social stability to communities in which the children honor their parents through obedience. Do you realize that's a natural law that this isn't just a Christian message right here that children should obey, should obey their parents. That's put in us. There's not a I, I don't think, there's not a community out there anywhere in the world that the child comes out and immediately the parent becomes submissive, that the order becomes, I'm an authority to the child. That's a natural law that we have instinctively in our heart, that God has laid in the heart of humanity, that the children, that the parents have authority over the, over the child, and then it becomes a revealed law when God tells us. And so there is natural law that we have sort of this innate innate sense of right and wrong, but there's also a revealed law where God tells us this is the way it is and the way it, way it should be. So yes, in light of the gospel, a child who is in Christ should obey his parents. So if you're a child in here, my child's in here, it shouldn't be a white-knuckled effort. It should be, if you're a Christian, that in light of what Christ has done, 
we should respect and honor and obey our authorities. Our children, children should strive to be more like Christ in their submission as Christ submitted to the Father. But this leads to a bigger question. Okay, we're about to we're about to turn right and get away from the children and go to the next part of this passage. How does a child become a follower of Christ? Now listen, I want to talk with, about this in, in much grace and in much humility because, see, God can, God can save an individual any way He wants to do it. And probably in this room of four or five hundred folks, He's done it in so many, so many different ways. God can save a person as He see fits. He can save the individual who, who for all practical purposes in his life, he has no father. And God can save the individual with an abusive father. And God can save the individual with an absent father. I realize that. And many of you are testimonies to that. But as Paul writes this letter and thinks about the recipients of this letter and who's sitting in the room, he lays huge responsibilities on the fathers. So does that mean the, the mothers aren't responsible? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that the fathers, in rearing their children, do they have all the, every task? No, but as we mentioned last week, they should initiate. We should be initiators. Verse 4. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, the roles and duties of Christ-like leadership as fathers look remarkably similar to the Christ-like leadership of a husband that we talked about last week. And if you weren't here last week, listen to the podcast, grab one of the CDs that's out in the foyer where Brad kind of laid out the roles and responsibilities of a Christ-like husband. And these things were, number one, they take initiative. And so these are very applicable to fathers as well. They sacrifice. A Christ-like husband sacrifices. A Christ-like father sacrifices. A Christ-like husband protects. And a Christ-like father protects. And a Christ-like husband provides. And a Christ-like father provides. I'm not going to talk any more about those. Go back to last week. But in light of the gospel, in light of who you are in Christ, fathers, in light of who you are in Christ, parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now understand this, that the folks that, that Paul was writing to were living within the Roman Empire. So technically they're living under Roman rule and under the Roman father, under Roman rule, the Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell his children as slaves if he wanted or his wife as slave. He can make them work in the fields in chains. He could take the law into his own hands. In fact, the law was in his own hands. He could punish the child as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his children. And so Paul is talking in that context to these Christians who are listening to this letter being read, knowing what the cult culture of the day would permit and allow the father to do, and what was perhaps most important was just perhaps white-knuckled obedience to the father. In contrast, the role of the Christian father 
is to model and love is to model the love that God the Father has for his children. Loving, encouraging, training, correction, and discipline towards their children. So Paul's saying, fathers, parents, what you see in your culture is not really how God intended, God intended it to be. He tells, the, he tells the fathers, the first thing he tells them is, do not provoke your children to anger. Here's why. This isn't hard to understand. When a person's angry, their sense to see and understand reality diminishes. That goes for children, and that goes for you and me as well. When you're angry, your ability to see and sense reality begins to diminish. It's hard to learn when you're angry. Come to my house at about 8 or 8.30 on any given night, and me and one of my sons are attempting to do math. The ability to learn when anger has set in diminishes. It's hard to make wise decisions when you're angry. Therefore, Paul says, fathers, parents, it's not profitable. It's not good for you. It's not good for the order. It's not good for the rhythm that God has set out to provoke your children to anger. Sound minds do not prevail in anger. And you know it at your house. When, 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 when your children are angry at you, do they ever come up to you and go, Oh, I'm so mad at you, Mom and Dad, but oh, loving Father, would you show me the ways of the Lord? <laughs> it never. That just doesn't happen. And so that's why Paul is teeing this up to the fathers. In order to do what I'm about to tell you, you can't provoke them to anger. It doesn't work. There's no training, no discipline, no love and nurture. It just doesn't happen when you've got them ticked off. And, and when you've got them ticked off, it's probably because you've been ticked off. This is what Dr. Lloyd-Jones, he's a Welsh, Welsh Protestant minister from the 1800s. He says, when you're disciplining, disciplining a child, you should have first controlled yourself. What right have you to say to your child that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? Self-control, the control of temper, is an essential prerequisite in the control of others. And so, that's why Paul tees it up with that and says, don't make them angry. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So after that, Paul, Paul says, don't provoke, your, provoke them to anger. He would say, as a father, you have one goal. As a parent, you have one goal, and here it comes. You can write this down. You can underline it. It's in there. To bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's your goal. King James Version says, to nurture and admonish in the Lord. NIV says, to train and instruct. Now, here's where the problem begins. Remember, Paul just said, here's your role. Here's what you're supposed to do with your children. You want to get them to obey? Raise them up. Train and instruct them in the Lord. Here's the problem. In our culture, we have multiple goals for our children. Of course we want them to know and love the Lord, right? Especially in the South. It's just culturally right. It's what we do. But we also want them to do well on their ITBS testing, right? Now, of course, we want them to know and to love the Lord, but we also want them to be able to throw a curveball as a 12-year-old. Yours is coming. Hang tight. 
Of course we want them to know and love the Lord. I mean, we're Christians. But we also want them to make the all-star team. Of course we want them to know and love the Lord. But we also want them to get the lead part in the musical. Well, of course we want them to know and love the Lord. I'm a biblical, I'm a Christian parent. But we also want them to go to college. Of course we want them to know and love the Lord, but we want them to get a respectable job and we want them to be accepted and we want them to, to have the best and we also want and we also want and we also want and on and on and on. It goes, now listen clearly, I'm preaching to me, okay? I often want the wrong things for my children. Me, I do. None of these things that I mentioned, and we could just make the list as long as you want to make it. We could stay the rest of the day and talk about those things. But none of these things are bad in and of themselves. In fact, most are good. But your main goal is father, mother, parent, is to point your child to Christ. That is your main goal. Your goal, parent, is to lay kindling around your child throughout his life, while he is under your instruction, while he is under your roof, to lay kindling under his feet so that the Holy Spirit might ignite it. That's your role. That's your role. Let me read you something out of this book, The Gospel-Centered Family. says, I've often heard people say that they would consider living in the city, but they're concerned about their child, children's influences in education. But that begs the question, what do you want for your children? If you want them to be middle class, prosperous, and respectable, then live in a leafy suburb. Send them to a good school and keep them away from messed up people. But if you want them to serve Christ in a radical wholehearted way, then model that for them in the way you live. That won't necessarily mean moving to the inner city, but it does mean exposing them to costly ministry. Teach them that following Jesus, denying yourself, and taking up the cross is what matters. And teach them that by following Jesus, and teach them how? By following Jesus, denying yourself, and taking up the cross for yourself. Of course, there's nothing wrong with education, career, marriage, or prosperity. But when we make these things more important than knowing and serving God, then they've become idols. The problem is they're respectable idols. <laughs> it can easily become okay, even in churches, to make an idol of education or career or respectability. Let that chew on your soul. Because it has been chewing on mine big time. doesn't mean we all have this path that we're supposed to do. And what does that mean? We sell everything and go. I don't know what it means for you. But the reason, the reason I read that, what do we want? What do we really want, parents? What do I really want for my children? Do I want them to be able to play the guitar and sing more than I want them to be in love with Jesus? Do I want them to do well in their school more than I want them to be in love with Jesus? 
It doesn't mean we don't encourage our children to put forth their best effort in everything that they do. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, that's me and you and our children, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or whether you drink or whether you take the ITBS test, whether you go to work tomorrow, whether you're playing guitar, whether you're laying pine straw at the, in your front yard, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so that leads me to kind of wrap this thing up with really some, some personal convictions that I have and that God's laid on my heart over the last couple of weeks and some really some obstacles that I face in, in the things that I'm going to list here. I'm failing at most of these things. I'm failing at most of them. Number one, parents, treat your child as a gift to cherish, not a trophy to display. Treat your child as a gift from God for you to steward and to cherish and to raise up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Not a trophy to display. Listen, our kids and us, we're all pulled in so many different directions to put ourselves on display. It's more so, it's more available today with Twitter, with Facebook, with Instagram, with all the things that we're, many of us are all involved with that say, look at me. Look at me. I'm the idol. I'm the one. Look at me. Don't know if you know it, but I got Fruit Loops on sale yesterday. Save $2. Look at me. I mean, that's our culture. That's what we're living in. We're drinking out of the fountain that says, put yourself on display and put your, put your children on display. Remember, let me go back to say, I've already said it. I'm failing at most of these, okay? I'm failing at most of these things. Number two, model grace and humility to your children. What does that mean? It, it means that we as parents, we prefer others over ourselves. That is not our default nature. Our default nature is to prefer us over anyone else. That's Genesis 3. That's where the original sin took place. That's how it happened. We prefer ourselves over anything else, especially God. But model this. Attempt to model this in its brokenness. In the Lord, attempt to model this to your children. Number three, parenting should be seen as a joy, not a task. Laurie Money just leaned over to me right before church start, and she said, I had lunch with Big Jim Money on Friday, and we were just talking about life in general and talking about kids. And, and then she had dinner with, I think, a good buddy of mine that we run with, Jimmy Brooks, and Somehow, she said, Renal, I always thought you were a type A personality, but I realize you're now triple A. You got issues, dude. She didn't say the issues, dude. That's me saying it. I got issues. And so, and so, parenting is not a task. It's not like cutting the grass, and it's not like balancing the checkbook to go, well, I did that, check that off. And that's kind of how I live my life. I live it in a very task-oriented way. So I say, well, two hours with the children, that checks that off. And I get the grass cut, that, that's that. And the, balance, the checkbook is balanced, and I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this, and we've got the light replacing it. We get it done. Parenting is not like that. It's not a task. It should be a joy as difficult and as painful as it is. Number four. Fight for your children. 
fight for your children. I'm not, when I say that, I don't mean help them avoid consequences and pain. I mean fight for their souls because no one else is. No one else is praying for your children like you're, you are praying for your children. No one else is going to fight for the souls of your children like you will. I'm not saying that's the way it's supposed to be. That's just reality. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Fight for your children's souls. Number, we're not number, next point, good. Reject religion. Teach the gospel. We have to do that over and over and over. Paul says it over and over. Peter says it over and over. Let me remind you of the gospel. Let me remind you of the gospel before I say this. You Christians, who's Paul usually writing to almost all the time? Christians. Who's Peter writing to? Christians. Every time he writes them a letter, he can't start the letter without saying, I've got to remind you of this because you forget. We forget. Teach the gospel. Reject religion. Reject this performance-driven effort that will give us a right standing before God. I have a guy that I meet with, been meeting with him for many, many years. He's a mentor to me. He said that this year, his family, although his kids are raised, but he has a significant amount of influence over them, very close family. He said, this year we want to become a D6 family. We want to be a D6. He's very goal-driven, probably a AAA as well um, type of type of attitude. Uh, and personality. But he said, we want to be a D6 family. That's Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. He said, I want this to be, this to be who we are this, this year. It says, I didn't, I didn't give you this one, Jeremy, I don't think. Deuteronomy 6 says, now this is the commandment. We read this at every baby uh, dedication that we have. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and commandments which I command you to do all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you shall talk of them when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, a D6 family is one that not just posts things up on mirror on a mirror, but in Christ ties everything to the gospel, ties everything to who God has called us to be in Christ, in everything, in everything. Next point. Our encouragement should always stimulate praise for God's grace rather than for our child's goodness. You got that? I think that came out of one of these books. Our encouragement for our children should always stimulate praise for God's grace rather than for our children's goodness. In other words, we live in the self-image and self-esteem culture that pop psychology would say we need to pump up our kids, we need to let them know how great they are and what a great achiever 
they are. But what this is saying is, is we need to point any bit of goodness to God. So in other words, great job on your test today. How great is God that he will give you the discipline and the knowledge to do that well on your test. That song sounded beautiful. How great is God that he would give you the fingers to be able to strum like that. Or the voice to be able to sing like that. How, how great is God. How great is God that he would allow the sun to come up again this morning. How great is God that he gave someone the, the thought process to invent a game like baseball. How great is God that someone could think of that? How great is God that he gave you the ability that that timing was just right and it went off the bat and it went over the fence? How great is God that he blessed you with the all-star team? How great is God? What about when things don't go great? How great is God? How great is God that he would allow us to suffer? So that through suffering we might produce endurance in us. That through endurance we might gain character. And that through the character might produce hope. And that in all this, how great is God. That in all this we might be able to become more like Him. How great is God. Our encouragement for our children should not point to how great they are. But how great God is. That's the difference here, folks. That's the difference because when we tell our children over and over how great they are, they begin to think that they are God. That doesn't go well. Let me read you one little paragraph here. Page 43 and give them grace. It says, If we, parents, persist in seeking to build our children's self-esteem by praising them, we make them into our own image. <laughs> Boys and girls who idolize the benediction. The benediction that they refer to in this book is, boy, you sure are good. <laughs> you sure are great. They idolize the benediction. Adults who are enslaved, this is talking about us, we make them into our image. People who idolize the benediction. Somebody tell me how great I am. Somebody please tell me this was a good sermon. Please tell me this was a good sermon. Adults who are enslaved to the opinions of others and parents who pass on the lie to the next generation, even though it hasn't worked to make them good either. <laughs> like us, our children crave the blessed benediction. You are good. That's our culture. That's what we're doing to our children. A couple more. We're out of here. promise. I'm going to hear your clocks go deep, deep in just a second. And I know you get antsy. I don't. Do not substitute the urgent for the important. Do not substitute the urgent for the important. Refer you back to Luke chapter 10 with Martha and Mary when, Mary, when Jesus is coming to visit them. And Mar Martha is very worried and upset in trying to get the house in order. And Mary is worshiping at the Father's feet. Do not substitute the urgent for the important. There are a lot of things that are urgent in your life, but there is one thing that is important. Jesus told Martha, and Mary chose what's better. Paul says, here's what you're supposed to do, parents. Raise them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Number last, I got three more. Rub shoulders with those who have gone before you. Rub shoulders with those who have been where you are. 
Psalm 145, verse 4, One generation shall commend your works to another. All these things are hard. Everything I've listed is hard to do. It's hard to implement. It's hard to even remember it tomorrow because there's a high likelihood you won't even open your notes and you'll say, what, what should I do? I've got two that are very easy, okay? Turn off the TV, parents. Turn off the TV. I didn't say throw it out the window. But turn off the TV and look at your children and talk to your children. And finally, go camping. <laughs> I'm not a big camper. And I'll be honest, when we do co-camping, as soon as we get there, I'm already sort of thinking about how we're going to break that camp down. <laughs> That's kind of the way I work. I'm thinking about breaking it down as soon as I get there. Listen to me, okay? You come up with your own thousand convictions. Those were just mine, and there's many more. Those are obstacles that I am wrestling with right now. Listen to me. Parenting, parents, all of this takes an intentional, grace-filled effort in the Lord. An intentional, grace-filled effort. It doesn't just happen. Beautiful landscapes don't just happen. I went running this week in this neighborhood. I mean, it was beautiful. Every lawn after the other, they were just manicured. The azaleas, the dogwoods, everything. No, no weeds anywhere. That didn't just happen. It took paying attention to the weeds. It took appropriate water. It took making sure that the sun was able to shine on the grass and that it wasn't blocked. It took edging. It took attention over and over. It do, you don't move into your house and the, and the guy who builds the house and the landscaper lays down the sod, has the, has, has, the, uh, has the bushes and shrubs put in, and then you just leave it. And then in 18 years, you called up the builder and say, what happened? I've got weeds and, and junk and it's overgrown. You have to pay attention. It's kind of like we become oftentimes, as our children get older, we go, Shazam, what happened to my kids? What happened? Well, there's no guarantees, folks. Salvation is of the Lord, okay? It's not of the parents. But Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, listen, I, I might have I planted and Apollos might have watered, but it's God who gives the growth. As he was talking to these Corinthians who were kind of one following Paul, one following Apollos, and he said, it's God who does the work. But he references, we're planting, we're sowing, we're preparing the soil for our children, so for the Holy Spirit to ignite. There are no guarantees. The gospel is not intuitive. It must be spoken, modeled, and lived out consistently. Two questions, four exhortations. I'm just reading them and we're getting out of here. What if you are a parent who did not or is not doing this well. Can I urge you? It's never, never too late. And it's never too late to repent. Start today. No matter how old your children are. What if you are a child? What if you're a child who did not or is not doing this well? It's never too late to repent and start today. There's grace. There's grace. Four exhortations, we're out of here. Do not presume upon the salvation of your children. Plead to God 
if they profess to be a Christian today, plead to God to keep them. Now, Reynolds, are you saying they can lose their salvation? Never. But I also am very familiar with the parable of the sower in Luke 8, Matthew 13, and Mark chapter 4, that in many cases, people hear the word and eagerly and quickly rejoice, but as the worries and thorns of life come along, they turn the other direction. Do not presume upon the confession that you had at the kitchen table with your child or the confession that they had at youth camp. Plead to the Lord every day for the salvation of your children. Number two, if your children are not saved, plead to God for salvation and invite your family in Christ to join you in this plea. The Lord delights to answer the prayers of His children. Number four, to the best of your ability, do not detach the rearing of your children from the gospel. And finally, do not try this alone. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. If you are not a believer in this room or you're not sure that you are in Christ, turn to Him. You don't have a story. You do not have a story good enough or messed up enough that God did not and is not able to lay on the cross. You don't. You don't have one. And if you're walking in self-righteousness in a, in a white-knuckled effort, lay that down at the foot of the cross and turn to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Would you help us? Would you help us to be children who honor our fathers and our mothers. Would you help us, Lord, to be parents who attempt in our messed up, broken way, but in you to raise our children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Would you help us do that? Lord, we can't do it on our own. Would you help us to reach out to others, the body of Christ, to press on toward the goal to which you have called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.